Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great conversation today. Uh, the rest of the week, we are devoting to Kingdom Come. That's right. The wonderful DC comic is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Who can believe it's been 20 years? We are going to have two interviews coming this week. The first one is today. It is with the writer, Mark Wade. Always a pleasure to have Mark back, one of our favorite Flash artists. That's an inside joke if you know the uh, yeah, podcast uh, between me, Art, and Franco. And really, that's more an Art and Franco's joke than it is mine. But uh, that aside, of course, Mark is well known for being the writer of Kingdom Come. And uh, he talks about how he got involved with the project, uh, certain memories of some of his favorite scenes and uh, thoughts behind characters. We, uh, we do a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, Mark is always uh, on the clock. I love Mark, but, you know, to try and get Mark Wade to do like a mammoth two-hour Bendis or, God, four-hour Marty Pasco talk ain't going to happen. And God bless him because he's busy. He's got a lot of stuff going on. We've been trying to talk, actually, for a couple months, even before C2E2. And uh, finally, because he knew the signing was coming up for Kingdom Come, uh, he was willing to uh, spend some time with me last night. Miracle Monday. Totally forgot it was Miracle Monday. He brings it up in the conversation. I'll let Mark explain uh, the details of Miracle Monday if you don't know your Bronze Age Superman lore. But, uh, man, always love talking to Mark. Always love seeing him in person at cons and downtime. But uh, the reason why Mark is on this week and we're celebrating Kingdom Come is because uh, there's a big signing happening in Skokie, Illinois, suburban Chicago. Oh, yeah, comics co-owned by Mark Wade, uh, Art Baltazar, Franco. Uh, there's a big Kingdom Come signing happening in Skokie this Saturday. And uh, that's the 21st. Come out, join all the guys. I will be there as well. But uh, it's going to be a huge signing with Mark Wade and Alex Ross uh, signing Kingdom Come. And I imagine they will sign other Mark Wade and Alex Ross paraphernalia that you bring. Don't go crazy, though, because I'm sure there's going to be a long line. We want to serve everybody. And uh, it's going to be great. I hope you can join us on Saturday at Oh Yeah Comics in Skokie, Illinois. There are details online if you go to uh, Facebook, uh, to the Oh Yeah Comics page. Also, if you go to the stores, just Google search Oh Yeah Comics in Skokie, Illinois, and I'm sure you will find all the details right there. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are happening at InStock Trades, and I will go into those in just a second. But first, before we get into the commercials, I've got to acknowledge the passing of Darwin Cook because uh, I was a huge fan, as we all were, and uh, it, it really was a sad day. Uh, last Friday when we heard that he was in penitive care, I kind of held out hope because unlike hospice care, sometimes penitive care is not only for uh, people that might be dying, but also for people that are seriously ill but do have a chance of survival. And so I was kind of hoping for the best. But unfortunately, right after Darwin's wife, Marsha, had mentioned that he was in penitive care, uh, we heard that uh, Darwin had passed away uh, very early Saturday morning, about, I believe, one o'clock in the morning, uh, Eastern time. Um, New Frontier, uh, God, the Darwin, uh, the uh, the Parker books that uh, he adapted uh, from Donald Westlake, uh, just such great work. Uh, Batman Ego. Uh, those wonderful DC covers that he did back in December of 2014. Um, man, you know, just uh, do yourself a favor. If you, you haven't picked up a great Darwin Cook story, his run on Catwoman with Ed Brubaker, uh, in particular, uh, graphic novel, Selena's Big Score, uh, his depiction of Slam Bradley, his depiction of King Faraday, the DC solo book that uh, featured great short stories from Darwin. Uh, a lot of that is covered in uh, graphic art, the art of Darwin Cook from D.C., and I, I certainly recommend that. I certainly recommend any iteration of The New Frontier, his wonderful nod to the Silver Age, but we lost one of the greats. And uh, as I've said online, his legacy will certainly live on in his art, and uh, man, I'll tell you, just a, just a darn good guy. Let's have a moment of silence, though, for the great Darwin Cook. Rest in peace, Darwin. Okay, let's move on to uh, uh, brighter subjects and uh, happier times and uh, not have to wait till uh, someone passes away to acknowledge their greatness. We're going to be talking today with uh, Mark Wade about his uh, wonderful work on Kingdom Come. Like I said, we're on a time limit, so I even said, okay, so that means we're not going to be talking about your Marvel work right now. 
Uh, we're not going to have a chance to talk about how much you loved Civil War, how much you hated Batman Superman. It's Kingdom Come time for Mark Wade, and that's fine because uh, there's plenty to talk about, and I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation right here on Word Balloon. It's brought to you today by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Uh, if you want to help subscribe to Word Balloon, uh, you can go to the wordballoon.com page, click on the Patreon ad, and it'll take you to my Patreon page. Or you can uh, check out some videos that I've made as well explaining why that I ask for uh, people to subscribe to Word Balloon if they can afford it. Don't worry. Word Balloon's free. It's always going to be free. But if you want to help the cause out and you enjoy the programming that I present to you each month here at Word Balloon, you'd really be doing me a favor, even if you could just spare a dollar uh, to help uh, you know subscribe to Word Balloon uh, via Patreon. So go to wordballoon.com for all the information. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous deals are happening right now at InStock Trades, and I've got them up right now on the uh, computer screen. Let me grab my glasses here and look at some of these. Uh, we got things like uh, Silk Volume 1 from uh, Robbie Thompson and Lee Stacy, the wonderful character that uh, Dan Slott created from uh, Spider-Man. And uh, Silk's first uh, trade paperback, Sinister, is 50% off, $9.99. You can get the Howard the Duck trade paperback, Duck Hunt, from Chip Zdarsky and Joe Quinones. Uh, really good stuff. 50% off. $8.99. You can get Lazarus, hardcover volume two. Uh, you know that uh, the uh, next volume is uh, beginning very shortly. But uh, Greg Rucka and Michael Lark's excellent series, Lazarus. I love it. I always love talking to Greg about it. It is 42% off, just $23.19. You can get the Savage Sword of Conan, Trade Paperback, Volume 22, all those wonderful reprints of uh, Savage Sword uh, stories from uh, Marvel's Bronze Age. Just great stuff. 42% off, $11.59. I'm so happy to say that stuff absolutely holds up. Dr. Mirage, Trade Paperback, Volume 2, Second Lives, Jen Van Meter, good stuff from Valiant. 30% 30% off, $10.49. InStock Trades also has a trade paperback new edition of the book we're talking about today, Kingdom Come. 45% off the trade paperback. It's uh, just $10.99. But if you're coming to Skokie, well, you know what I'm saying. Uh, there you go. Lots of great deals happening right now at InStockTrades.com. Take a look for yourself. InStockTrades.com. You know, I said it earlier, I can't believe that uh, Kingdom Come is uh, 20 years old. And uh, I'm going to the Wikipedia um, page for Kingdom Come to uh, just give you a little bit of background on it. Uh, Kingdom Come was a four-issue comic book miniseries published in D.C. uh, in 1996 under the Elseworlds imprint. It was written by Mark Wade, uh, drawn by Alex Ross. And, uh, uh, of course, Alex also developed the original idea. And uh, they say this Elseworlds story is a deconstructionist tale set in a future that deals with a growing conflict between the visibly out-of-touch traditional superheroes and a growing population of largely amoral and dangerously irresponsible new vigilantes, in many cases the offsprings of the traditional heroes. Between these groups is Batman and his assembled team who attempt to contain the escalating disaster and also foil the machinations of Lex Luthor and prevent a world-ending superhuman war. Superman and the Justice League abandoned their roles as superheroes after the rise and strong public support of a superhero named Magog, who has no qualms about murdering in cold blood. He has a significant murder that, if you don't know, I will leave for you to read in the actual story. In the ensuing years, a newer generation of superheroes arise. They engage in each other in destructive battles with little distinction between heroes and villains. The narrator of the story, a minister named Norman McKay, begins to receive apocalyptic visions of the future from the dying Sandman, Wesley Dobbs. The old hero, the Spectre, appears to McKay and recruits him to help him pass judgment on the approaching superhero apocalypse. An attack on the parasite, the evil Superman villain led by Magog, goes uh, wrong, and much of the American Midwest is irradiated because they uh, kill and cut open Captain Atom. There's a nuclear explosion killing millions, destroying a large portion of America's food production. Uh, This coaxes back into action uh, Wonder Woman and Superman, who returns to Metropolis and reforms the Justice League. He recruits new heroes along with older ones 
And the most prominent exception is Batman, who resents Superman for leaving the world 10 years ago. Batman warns Superman that his idealistic notions are outdated and his interference will only exacerbate the world's problems, insisting that strategy and delicacy is required, not force. In response to Superman's Justice League, Batman activates his network of agents called the Outsiders, made up of the largely longer second and third generation heroes, with a couple trusted veterans like Green Arrow and Blue Beetle. Uh, Lex Luthor has organized the Mankind Liberation Front, and it's a group of Silver Age villains, including Catwoman, the Riddler, and Vandal Savage, as well as third-generation villains like Raza Ghul's successor, who is Bruce Wayne and Talia Ghul's son. This is an early version of uh, the current Damian Robin, but uh, this is an adult, and this is an adult that was raised by the League of Assassins. The uh, Mankind Liberation Front works to take control of the world from the heroes. So that's kind of the setup to Kingdom Come. It's an excellent story. And I, again, if you haven't read it, I'll let you discover more. We talk a bit about it, and we keep it reasonably so- spoiler-free. As as Mark says, you know, spoiler, the, the, the good guys win. <laughs> of course they do. But uh, it's a tremendous story, and uh, I just wanted to get that out there to give you a little context. So Without further ado, let's uh, pick up our conversation with Mark Wade as we begin our look back 20 years ago to Kingdom Come, now on Word Balloon. All right, he's back, and I know I'm on the clock, so I'm going to get the niceties out of the way. Mark Wade, welcome back to Word Balloon. Thanks, sir. Come on, guys. Books to write, books to sign, signings to go to. Come this, on. It's this a, is it's true. Happen, it's happening here at, uh, the, at the Wade office. But yeah, by all means, I, I will always be able to find time to talk to my my favorite podcaster, absolutely. God bless you, man. No, you know it, and I, lo- and I love talking to you, so thank you for making the time. Uh, we'll start with, unfortunately, some sad news. We lost Darwin Cook this weekend, and uh, I-, I-, I would love to hear your thoughts about Darwin Cook. God, that was tough. I mean, it just it's tough for everybody in the industry because he was such a one-of-a-kind artist and so influential. I, I learned about it as I was getting on a plane, and it, by the time I got off the plane, I mean, I learned. I was learning about the fact that he was that he had cancer as I was getting on a plane. When I got off the plane, he had already passed. So it was that fast, and uh, and you know, I didn't know him extraordinarily well. I knew him well enough to have a drink, and I knew him well enough to bitch about you know what was going on in comics and kids these days and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but what a, you know, he and his wife Marsha both incredibly lovely people, and and Darwin just. You know that that Robert Mitchum, you know, like yeah. that that sort of hangdog, you know, in control and you know, manly man, and, and a guy from another era. Like you walked out of a 1947 Warner Brothers picture. Uh, was just a phenomenal guy, and we could just, you know, we both revered the classic stuff. It didn't mean we were slaves to the Silver Age or anything like that. There was just something very pure and very primal about the early work of any comic strip, any comic book, any comic creators. And, and that's the stuff we really bonded over. Now, again, I, I, there's just no replacing that guy. Agreed. And, uh, you know, I mean, luckily there's a great legacy of art that we will continue enjoy, to enjoy and generations will as well. I remember when New Frontier was coming out in floppies, and that's when I first met him. And he was so pissed because he had kind of told DC, hey, I want to keep this affordable. I want it to be that uh, four ninety five price that the prestige f- format originally was, and he didn't know that the compromise was they'd keep it at four ninety five, but really make it a floppy. And he was just so disappointed. And he's like, "Oh man, you know, I wanted it to be square bound, but cheap and affordable." And he was kind of nervous. I think that it wouldn't sell because it was yeah. this kind of Silver Age love letter and everything. And thank God, you know, becomes this amazing classic. So, you know. Yeah, he didn't. He, he didn't have an absolute yet. Last, you know, one of the times I talked to him, and he was, and he was, just came up to me and said, "How do you get DC to do something like that? How do you get DC to do your work in like a nice absolute edition?" And I looked at him and I honestly said, "If you think you're asking the right guy about how to get DC to do anything, you are. You know, you need another drink because that ain't that ain't gonna fly." <laughs> and so we had a big laugh over that. And again, it's uh, he was. You know, he was a very strongly opinionated man, and when you agreed with him, you agreed with him, and when you didn't, you know, you could be yelling at each other, but but it was always with respect, and it was always with the fact that, I mean, I, I had him, 
heated arguments with him, but I also had great times. And I think most everybody in Congress can say that. And the beauty of it is you can have those heated arguments with him, but still at the end of it, just want to give him a brotherly hug because it doesn't, you know, there was no acrimony. It was just, he was a guy with a strong opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. That is, that is awesome. That's what you need in a comic. That's, this amazing quote that's been going around is absolutely true. He said, you can either do the best comics you can, or you can be a good boy for your editors, one of the two. And holy smokes, that's really a good philosophy to live by. Amen. And I know, you know, he loved Art and Franco really well, too, and uh, really kind of bolstered their, uh, you know, feelings yeah. when when cartoonists were looked down upon. And he's the guy who's like, no, man, you know, we are cartoonists. You're damn right. And we're going to stick together and congratulated them on their Eisners and defended them when it needed to happen and stuff. So, yeah, that's it's it's a tough loss. And uh, like I said, unfor- you know, the good news is what a, what a legacy of books to yeah. live on. Yeah. And people can really enjoy his stuff. And I'm sure artists and writers will study his works for a long time. There are not a lot of guys that got to that get to bat a thousand for fifteen years. You know, and no that's shit. the thing. Like there was nothing you could ever pick up from him that would be substandard or banged out or half assed. I mean, it just he bled into everything he did, whether it was something he owned or something he loved or something that was worked for hire or whatever. He just he never gave a you know, he never gave a second class effort. Just a great guy. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk about one of your classics. Uh, coming on twentieth twentieth uh, anniversary, Kingdom Come. I can't believe it's been twenty years. I can't either. I still have a full head of hair, and I still have a thirty two inch waist, and everything, and everything. So I don't, I don't understand what this twenty year thing is. I, dude, I just, I. It, it's funny. On the one hand, it seems like it was so long ago, and on the other hand, I remember certain moments of writing it like it was yesterday, like just certain scenes and certain ideas, and and you know where I was what you know the room looked like at that moment and just everything so um and peeling out and this dates it 20 years and peeling alex ross sketches off the fax machine <laughs> you, know, that's, you know that's that'll tell you right there what kind of era we're talking about but um what a lucky break what a, what a lucky thing to have fallen into and that is you know I, I i will i will not be falsely modest and i will say that i'm glad i was able to bring a little heat to it in terms of what, how I love DC characters being able to convey that, but you know, man, that's that is that was a career-making book, and that was as much luck as anything else. And I'm very grateful for that. How did it get together? How did it happen that the two of you were uh, put together for this assignment? Well, remember, Alex had done Marvels yes. over Crosstown, and he was at that point starting to be a big deal. And he had come to DC. He came to DC with a bunch of sketches, a bunch of really well thought out character sketches. And like a rough handwritten outline of of some ideas and where he kind of where he thought the story should go. Not so much a plot as much as the tone and the you know the, sort of the way the characters could look at each other and, and so forth. And it was real rough, but you know there was there were ideas there, and more importantly, those sketches were just you know the first time you see that uh, Superman sketch that he does with the the, the red on black ass. It's just you know it, it, it's just breathtaking the way Alex saw those characters. So he went in looking for a writer. He went to Archie Goodwin and to his assistant, Dan Rasper at the time, and said, well, you know, we, who you got? Like, who knows his DC stuff? And Dan, to his credit, said immediately, well, it's, it's Mark Wade. He's the guy for you. As a matter of fact, I'll show you some of his work right now. And so what does he send him? He sends him, like, these impact comics. He sends him, like, Legend of the Shield and the Fly. As yeah, proof yeah, that I know the, what I'm doing, yeah. I'm like, the yeah, Archie, I, like I, I, want to exp- I want to explain. The Impact Comics are the Archie line of superheroes from uh, from uh, the Golden Age and the, and the Silver Age. Right, which DC had had uh, you know had option for a little while to do as a line of comics for younger readers. Um, and no, I mean, none of them were bad, but you know, none of them were even. If I were putting together my resume, I'm not sure I would lead with Legend of the Shield. So thanks, Dan. <laughs> thanks, Dan. So we all went out to lunch, and I'm sitting there thinking. Well, this guy's read my best work. He's read the comet, so I guess I'm in great shape. I, you know, I, I just I figured that ain't gonna fly. And the four of us sit around the table, and Alex has his ideas, and we're talking about stuff. And at first, I'll be bluntly honest with you, and I think I've said this in the past. Right? I wasn't signed on yet. I didn't come to the table like ready to sit down and write page one, panel one, because I just didn't know what to make of all this, and it was future DC stuff, and the characters were. 
beautiful, but not the versions I knew, and I wasn't sure. And so we started talking about this story back and forth and what could happen and why Superman would do the things he does and, and, and how it could all wrap up. And I remember distinctly, like, the, the moment, and this is the way it works for me. When I, when I write stories, I tend to think of visuals. I tend, I tend to, it's like flashcards spread face down on the table in front of you, right? And, and I'll just start turning up flashcards, and I'll see this image in my head, and I'll see another image in my head, and I'll start to sort of knit them together and put them together into something. And we were talking and talking, and I just had this image of the end of the book where Superman, who has not been in his human identity for 20 years or whatever, uh, he, takes his, he, he takes these glasses out of a teakwood box and puts them on, and he becomes Clark Kent again for the first time in, in decades. Uh, I just knew that was the moment I was sold. Like, they had that idea, that visual in my head, and I knew that was the that was the moment that I said, okay, I really want to do something with this, because now I feel emotionally connected to it. And uh, and to his credit, uh, Alex gave me those pages much later on, you know, later on as a celebration of what we did together, and I still have those two pages of, of Kingdom Come. Awesome. That's fantastic, man. And um, there are just so many great character moments. And, you know, I just talked to Susan Eisenberg, the character, the cartoon voice of Wonder Woman, and, yeah. I, and I asked her if she had read Kingdom Come, because... One of the one of the key points of the story that, frankly, I don't remember happening before Kingdom Come was the disagreement between the Trinity, but really Wonder Woman standing on her own and saying, no. Clark, you're yeah. wrong and Bruce, you're wrong. If, if we if we were able to contribute anything that would not be considered a cautionary fable, because this is part of my red flag waving, too, is, is so many times I see people. You know, from DC pulling rifts from Kingdom Come and putting it into modern continuity, and I just keep running around going, no, 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 that story wasn't supposed to happen. It's a cautionary fable, don't you understand? But <laughs> it, but I I will I will take pride in the fact that Alex and I managed to make it from you know went, go go from the world's finest duo to a trinity. Uh, we both love Wonder Woman. We both thought she was an awesome character. She brought so much to the table, and uh, you know and. I don't know which one of us said, okay, she's the third main player front and center. It could have been either of us. It could have been both of us. But I'm, I'm glad that took, quote, unquote. I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that Trinity is sort of what sprang up out of that and that she, she, she certainly had earned her place at the table. But I'm glad when we were done, she didn't, nobody felt a, a need to take the chair out from under her to, to torture the metaphor. Understood. And also, obvious, because, you know, I got to be honest, this was kind of a period that I came back to comics because I saw, I I read Marvels, but a lot of what was happening at Image just didn't speak to me as an older reader. So it was things like Marvels and Kingdom Come that kind of brought me back and was obviously the young generation represented in Kingdom Come that was out of control. You know, was that kind of obviously a nod to what was happening with Heroes at Image? Oh yeah, I mean that was that came to the table with Alex, and I was happy to join in on that. I, I just it, it, we weren't. I mean, we weren't trying to stand on the lawn like Abe Simpson and go, you know, <laughs> hey, you just got out of my yard. So much as we we felt, both of us felt that at the time, look, nothing wrong with new characters, nothing wrong with new approaches, nothing wrong with new artists, but there was. The, 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 like the whiplash feeling to that was that, oh, and therefore the, the mainstay superheroes are just dull and boring and old-fashioned and they should go away and they're, they're pointless and they're, they have no relevance. And that's where Alex and I got our back up. You know, that's, it wasn't so much an attack on younger characters as it was, look, you don't get it. Let's just, let, let's just show you how this is done. There is nothing boring about these characters. It's all about the interpretation. And so that's really where where that came from. And, and uh, the first time you see Superman fully costumed in that comic book, just standing in the sky, come on, that's that has become an iconic Superman image. I always love the way that Alex draws the Kingdom Come Superman because, and certainly later in uh, the Justice Society series JSA with Jeff Johns, uh, he kind of becomes the Golden Age Superman for lack of a better. Uh, representation and just always the weight of the world on his shoulders and that he wears 
the shame of his failures more than he does all of his successes. And it's that bowed, you know, hooded eyed, sad, you know, face down yeah. kind of look that just yeah. it's just it's it's incredible. It really is an incredible and, image. And that is that is all, Alex. And I'll tell you, conversely, because I, I know there's on your list of questions and let's just segue to it. Conversely, Batman smiling throughout the entire book is also Alex. That is the idea that that because we had, that's just something we're not used to seeing for thirty years before that book come you know into the scenes. Just Batman smiling, but the way Alex paints him smiling in a in a really sort of oh my god he's about to reach in and grab my heart and rip it out of my chest way you know. Um, <laughs> well, the demons and, well, the demons have won. But luckily, Batman is up to the challenge. It's, you know, he, yeah. it's, it's like, fine, I knew it was going to be Hell on Earth one day. It's my time, and I know what to do. And I'm in control yeah, of my that. city with those Batman Sentinels and Broken Back Bruce, you know, being held together with, literally with cybernetics as, as opposed to yeah. really being able to go out in the field and do the job himself. Dude, that was, again, that was one of Alex's more inspired plays is, is Bruce Wayne just smiling throughout that book. What did you, what, you know, I mean, God, I, I've read, uh, you know, certainly I read the book and I read two and, and right now I'm blanking, but it was, uh, damn it, it was Elliot Magan who wrote the novel. Yeah. And we've talked about oh, yeah. that before. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny. It's funny you should mention that on Miracle Monday, isn't it? So. <laughs> is, is today it, technically Miracle Monday that we're recording? Today is the, the third day in May is always, the third Monday in May is always Miracle Monday. Oh. So. Yeah, for let me bring those people up to speed. So, those of you who don't know, Elliot Magan wrote two Superman prose novels in the 1970s and early 1980s. So one was called Last Son of Krypton. Really good book. Uh, very informative to my vision of who Superman is. Second book, Miracle Monday, I think published in 81, I believe, um, just blew the roof off the joint. That's, that's maybe my, my favorite Superman story ever told. It's, it's, it's a prose story of Superman and Luther and the devil and and uh, stakes as high as you can imagine. And the climax, you know, spoilers, you know, like he wins at the end. Superman wins at the end. But <laughs> at this point, there's just Superman has uh, – the, the devil has basically just put Metropolis to sleep. There's, you know, that, he is just basically he – just, he's just – there's no light coming in. There's no photons moving it is just a city that is frozen forever, and unless Superman can save it, and Superman manages to save it, and in doing so, the light comes back to Metropolis, and everyone just sort of feels like they've woken up from a dream. They don't really even remember what has happened. They just know that they feel better than they have in a long time, and that day is in Metropolis a, a day of joy being celebrated every year from then on. Nobody can remember exactly why, except for Superman. But everybody knows that that's the day they get up in the morning and they feel good and they want to do good by other people. And make the world a better place. That's awesome. So, I agree with you that yeah, I remember reading those books as like late or early teens, and just being yeah. blown away at how good it is. And truly, it's so worth going to Amazon or your used bookstores and looking for it because I got them both. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I still yeah. have them, and they're 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 absolutely wonderful. And they are legitimately adult stories, but they are tied to that uh, Julie Schwartz era seventies. Superman sensibility because they were written around the time of the of the Donner film, right? Exactly. But they are they are just really both of them are good novels and they're great. Like I said, they more than anything, more than Siegel and Schuster, more than Tertullian, more than anything else. Those are the things that those are the pieces that inform my understanding of who Superman is. And so, years later, fifteen years later, you know, uh, they talked. Warner Books talked about wanting to do a novelization. Of Kingdom Come, and I, it, I don't know that I didn't have time, but I knew that I'd never written a novel before, and I thought this is not the one I want to learn on. And I want to, if I'm going to learn, I, I want to learn on my own and not learn with a with a deadline clock ticking over me. Uh, call Elliot Magan, which they did. Charlie Cosman was our editor. He's now, uh, you know, he's been at Abrams for a long time, but Charlie was our editor at the time at DC. Okay. Call Elliot. Call Elliot and get him to do a novelization of what we've done and tell him he can put in as much new stuff and he can extrapolate all he wants and he can move scenes around if it works better for him. He can do, as far as I'm concerned, he can do whatever he wants. And Alex gave him very much a, a free hand, too. And uh, Elliot just wrote a, a, a novel that gave 
our story so much backstory and so much weight and so much emotional gravitas that I, I really feel like that's a really, if you like what we did with Kingdom Come, I heartily encourage you to find that novel. Again, it should you can be able to find it in any used bookstore in, on Amazon. Uh, but Elliot Magan wrote that novelization, and I just, uh, just, uh, just, what an honor. I understand, man, and I and I have that same kind of buzz feeling, and I felt the same way when I was reading what you and Alex did. So, what what parts of the of the book, you know, what characters did you kind of focus on, and uh, can you point at, at certain things that you were like? You know, because right now you've really been very kind and, and saying, "Well, that was Alex. That was Alex." So you know, well, there were a few. I mean, there were a few things. I mean, I, I, there were the the basic structure of it is something that you know we we got to the. I keep saying we got to the table. That's an amazing table. If that's the truth, the reality is we. I think we got together in Alex's uh, apartment in Chicago, and and we talked about. We like I came up and stayed with him for a weekend, and we talked it out and. And came up with some ideas, and I, I think that the, the the biggest thing was the con, like the, the, the idea of what what really is this book about? Is it about aging superheroes? Is it about the younger generation? What is this about? And really, it was what we came to to realize with his father Norman McKay, with mm-hmm. Alex's father, who, you know, very very much modeled for Norman McKay mm-hmm. as the human aspect of things, and, and Superman being the exemplar of superhumanity, uh, once we realized that Captain Marvel should be a bigger part of that story, because uh, he really wasn't in Alex's original outlines. It was, he was basically just another player in the, on the sidelines. And I, I, if I was able to do anything, I was able to draw that character out and, and realize that that's the perfect fulcrum to run the whole story along, because he's, you know, he's young Billy Batson, but he's also Captain Marvel with the one magic word. He is the embodiment of humanity and superhumanity all in one body, and therefore that really gave us a, a lens to focus the rest of the story through. And what a journey that he does. I, You know, I, a part of me, even though it's a 20-year-old book, in case people didn't read it, you know, I just want to leave it at that and just uh, wonderful moments and wonderful surprises with uh, with Billy Batson's uh, and Captain Marvel's journey throughout the story. So, Thank you. Absolutely. And, and- yeah, there was that. I think my I think my favorite little moment, if I may, was was Dead Man. Was Dead Man showing up? And I think it was because Alex just had drawn a kick ass sketch of Dead Man, and so we thought, well, we let, we should put Dead Man in this book because that's an awesome looking image of the first time anybody had drawn Dead Man, not like a guy in a superhero costume, but like a you know a skeleton in his baggy circus trunks and stuff. So and was, was that before Kelly Jones's? Because uh, did... sure it was. Okay. Okay. Because yeah, I'm, you know, and actually, Kelly's even was more decomposed flesh versus right, the pure exactly, ass skeleton. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Kelly had taken it, you know, the next step, which was to sort of emaciated and drawn and so forth, and you know, and ghoulish. But Alex just said, you know, screw it. It's a skeleton with a suit on. <laughs> uh, and so from there, that was, you know, I, I liked writing that scene with Dead Man because it. It gave me a chance to do what I love doing the most. I mean, dig into these characters that I've known since I was nine and find something new about them that I hadn't seen. And a lot of times it's just kind of sitting there and staring at the character and, and writing dialogue and thinking. And I remember one moment I wrote the line for him, I always love to travel. And it's a little line. And it, in the context, it means a little something, but it's not terribly impactful. But to me, that... It clarified something to me about Ed Man that I'd never really thought about before, which is that he was originally a circus acrobat going from town to town, right? Always on the move, never at home. And now he is a ghost who moves from body to body, <laughs> never having a home, never having a, you know, a solid footing. Yeah. And I give all credit to Arnold Drake, who created that character, thinking, holy smokes, that, you did that in 1967, and I didn't catch on until 1995. Good going, Arnold Drake. Um, so that's you know, I, I I wish I could tell you. I again, I wish I could I could tell you that the genius of Mark Wade is is showing you sides of the characters that nobody had ever thought of before. But the re- I say that with my tongue in my cheek because the reality is the thing I think I do well is I look at the pieces that are already there and I find a way to show you stuff that that none of us have considered before. Like the idea that Aquaman is much cooler than you think because he, he 
has to defend 70% of the world, and there's only one of him. <laughs> um, just little things like that. I, can, I, I cannot take credit for that idea. I can take credit for seeing it, you know, but it was there. It was there in the characters. These characters have existed long before us and will, and will exist long after us, and Alex and I both have such a respect for them that you know, there's a reason these characters have been around for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And, and I'm not sure what that reason is in a lot of cases, but then my philosophy is, well, do no harm. Like, if you don't know what it is that made that character take for 80 years, don't screw with it because you don't know what that magic formula is. You don't know what that X factor is, right? So don't, don't mess it up. Just do right by the characters. There are subtle Easter eggs in terms of character interpretation, like you just described with Aquaman. Arthur, the king of the seas, Arthur, I mean, and that's the thing. And you guys yeah. presented him in this more regal way. And then there's also some visual Easter eggs as well in a way that I think prior to or after Watchmen, again, I'm not sure how many people were playing with stuff in the background. I mean, God, uh, the bar scene where, yeah. you know, everywhere I believe it's Batman that's, you know, gathering his his group and stuff. And literally the shadows in the background, which I love. And I'm, I, I'm guessing that might have been Alex who maybe put the shadow oh. back there or not. You tell yeah. me. You know. No, the rule the rule of thumb, and it's not true every moment, but the rule of thumb is if the character had a speaking line, it was somebody I called for. If the character's just in the background, you know, like Bethel the Super Monkey or you know, or the the monkeys, the monkey man is in their super hero identities, then it's something that Alex just snuck in. And God bless him. I mean, I, look, I'm very protective of the fact that it takes me about an hour to two hours to write a page of comics, but it would take Alex three days to paint it. So, you know, I, the love of God, you know, if, if, if that's what it takes to entertain you is, is putting Amos and Andy in the back of the page, then feel free, have at. I understand. As long as the, lawyer, long as the lawyers don't come after our ass, I'm fine with that. Now, was the, the Planet Krypton scene, was that for the trade, or was that also in the, at the, in the fourth book? The original one, the original printing didn't have the epilogue in Planet Krypton. I, I, Planet Krypton was something that had sort of sprung full-blown as I was, I, I, you know, again, I'll, I'll give Alex just a, a staggering amount of credit for this thing, but that's one of the little touches that I get to take credit for is, is Planet Krypton, because basically that's my living room. Basically, that's, that's, basically that's what my house looks like um, with all the stuff around it. And, and so I, I, I like that idea. We put it, obviously, in the early part of the book. When it came time to package the book as a, as a hardcover or a trade paperback, whatever, I remember DC Comics had made a deal with Graffiti, who was doing the hardcover. They said, well, this is nice, but it would be nice to do a little something extra. A little, a little, are, there any, are there any lost scenes? Are there any, are, there any, are there any director's cut pages that we didn't use or anything like that? Yeah, not really. There wasn't really anything like that. But was there room for a short epilogue? Well, yeah, but we didn't know what that was. We just, we honestly weren't sure what that would mean. And I remember this again as if it were yesterday. This was a, this was a triple play. This is a tinker to ever a chance moment when I was at the Heroes Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me that I don't know what that epilogue is, but it really ought to be Clark and Bruce and Diana just sitting around having a conversation about what what the future holds for them. And I called up Alex immediately. And Alex said, and they're having a conversation about the child that Superman and Wonder Woman are going to have. And then Al, and we get Dan Rasper on the phone who immediately says, and it takes place in Planet Krypton. And that was it. That was that the whole, I wrote the entire scene while waiting for an airplane back from Charlotte. I wrote it on a legal pad <laughs> and I've never written anything that fast and that furiously, and I just, it was like, oh, God, if I don't get all this down now, all of the ideas are going to run out of my head. And I just, I could, my God, I can write the three of them. I can write the three of them having toast. I can write the three of them having a fishing trip. I can write the three of them just hanging out, watching a movie and doing riff tracks. I can totally do that. The three of them just wrote themselves. It was like I was just taking dictation, right? Understood. Absolutely, man. No, and my favorite exchange, of course, is, you know, uh, hey, uh, what's been happening at the Batcave? Oh, I caught Luther a couple of times sneaking into the Batcave trying to hack the computer. And, of course, he says hello, by the way. And Clark's, yeah, exactly. yeah. Clark's so yeah. excited. Really? And Bruce, no, 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 yeah, no, no. 
dumbass. No farm boy. He is evil. That is our difference. That's how I can always get you. It is the quintessential Batman Superman friendship moment of Clark looking for hope and Batman saying, "It's the it's the real world asshole." No, the guy's still an asshole. Yep. <laughs> Beautiful, yep. man. Beautiful. Absolutely. Hell yeah. And also just. Again, the eye candy in Planet Krypton that uh, later Smallville used to show the Justice Society's headquarters and I think was a nod to Kingdom Come in all the uh, trinkets that were hanging around, uh, you know, the Justice Society's headquarters. Even Heroes, uh, at the end of the first season, they break into some vault. I remember talking about this with Jeff Loeb. And there's just weird stuff on the walls that are trophies or you're not really sure what they are, but they so look like, you know, Planet Krypton kind of, you know, tchotchkes that are around. Hawkman's different uh, masks, you, you know, they put in that. And, uh, God, I, you know, I mean, I mean, of course, the dial for Dial H for Hero, Robbie Reed's dial is there. You know, just. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was two days of me just furiously photocopying stuff for Alex going <laughs> this. Do you have this, a, is my shop, this is my shopping list. Yeah. Do you have a Robbie Reed dial? I in fact do. I in fact do, my friend. I if the if the plate, God forbid, the place ever catches fire, the Phantom Zone projector goes out in one hand, and the, uh, the Dial H for Hero dial goes out in the other hand, and the rest of it, I'll get if I can. <laughs> well, I know, and I mean, you really did kind of physically move everything of your home from from LA to uh, to Indiana now, and uh, yes. you know, and I mean, obviously, you've got the store. So I was going to say, oh shit, I hope that's that secret headquarters for Mark Wade, but it's like, no, <laughs> you got you got the store. Everyone knows you're in Indiana now, so. Right. And the, yeah, and the, and, and the rest of it, frankly, it's sadly a lot of it's still in boxes. I just haven't been able to to, to make the, the shelf space and so forth to unpack. I mean, dude, I moved when I, when the movers finally finished and got the last box in. You, you do your inventory when you have movers do it right. They hand you a big list, yes, and a big check, you know, box of of, of things to check off as you go. Four hundred and thirty five boxes later, we're done. Four hundred, and and that's not counting the co- the comics, the floppy comics. They've been on consignment with Blast Off Comics for years. So that doesn't even count the hundred long boxes of comics. I, I just, I don't know. I have no idea why I have four hundred thirty five boxes of stuff. But I got to tell you, someday when we finally do the grand reopening and the grand unpacking. I'm gonna have all my friends over, and it's gonna be like going through. Uh, it's gonna be going going through like a Charles Foster Kane's ball. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's a combination of Citizen Kane and the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, man. It's yeah. that warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you've got a you're you're gonna be in Skokie, which is great. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Comics says three locations. There's a location in Harrison, New York. There's a location in Muncie, Indiana. That's Mark's uh, hub, and then he's coming to uh, Skokie, Illinois. For this excellent signing this Saturday, uh, he and Alex are going to be there live and uh, signing books. And I, I, God, I have you got. When's the last time the two of you did a Kingdom Come signing, if ever? About twenty years ago. I mean, really, seriously, we've we have not. You know, Alex doesn't do many appearances and signings and stuff, and and we just have not. Our paths have not. I don't think I've even seen him in person for eighteen years at least, but. You know, we, he's, lately he's been doing covers for the Avengers. He's mm-hmm. been doing covers for, for other things that I've been involved with, and I think that's awesome. And we've been exchanging pleasant notes, and you know, we're very excited about you know, very excited to see each other after all this time. That's excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. And are there any? Is there anything else planned for the year? I know he's going to be in San Diego. Or you? Or I, actually, I don't know if he's going to be in San Diego. I think he is, but maybe not. I don't know actually. I don't know. Nobody's spoken to us about doing anything additionally, but you know, I'm sure we're available for bar mitzvahs and weddings and stuff. <laughs> like the uh, drop of the line, like the Superman bar mitzvah comic that was created. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll work for food. Yeah, I'm sure. We, yeah, yeah. You can get us buy us a sandwich. I'm sure we'll show up at your. <laughs> Well, at the very least, we'll be drinking soda pop together on on Saturday afternoon because I'll, I'll be there. Um, I look forward to it. I think that's going to. I think it's going to be a good get together. I think that you know they they though again. I, I I say this only partly because I'm a partner in the store, but those guys do a, just a bang up job. If you've not been to that Skokie store, all yet comics, I I heartily encourage you to show up. Absolutely, man. No, it's a wonderful store. It's great for kids. If you do have children, and if you've never come, honestly. Uh, you're going to find all ages product for the kids. It's one of the best uh, kids comic stores in the country, 
And, uh, and yeah, I mean, and, and really, you know, not only Alex, but Art, Art Balthazar will be there. Franco will be there. I'm sure several of the other Oh Yeah Comics artists will be there sketching as well. So it's really going to be crazy and fun. And uh, I, I look forward to looking at the top of your head because you're going to be busy just signing books and talking to people. But then, you know, after, you know somewhere in between, we'll, we'll have a moment and we'll, we'll say hello. Somewhere in between there, when I'm you know when staring at the belt buckle after belt buckle, we will we will take a break and we will we will we will hoist a soda pop and we will talk. This is all good, sir. And I look forward to you being there. Likewise, man. I, I you know we barely saw each other at C two E two, but I'm glad we did. And thank you for doing this. And uh, yeah, look forward oh, to thank, thank thank me. You know I'm the easiest interview you have because all you have to do is ask like four questions. That's all you. I it's like auto someday. You're just going to put up a tape recorder that's going to spit out questions at the right times. I'm just going to go, and I'm not even going to know. But that'll be fine. Well, you know, dude, I mean, we, we really just walked down memory lane, and you are kicking ass over at Marvel and doing so many great things. And I want to hear what you thought of, you know, Civil War and, and Batman Superman, if you can keep your blood pressure at a reasonable level. And none of us can. And none of us let's can. Say, let's just say Civil War was awesome. Let's just say that. There so, you go. And that'll be a happy topic, but, you know. So, so, yeah, we'll, we'll pull aside, we'll find more time, and we'll talk again in the future, sir. All right, man, because I know you're constantly traveling, and, and hopefully I will talk to you and see you before San Diego. But if not, looking forward to seeing you on Saturday, and thanks for sharing with us tonight. You bet, buddy. Talk to you soon. There you go. Great conversation with Mark Wade. So happy to have him back on the show. And uh, we will try to talk to him sooner than later. I know I always say that. And then a year or two slips by and we don't talk to Mark. But uh, yeah, as you can tell, we both enjoy each other's company. So it's great to have him back on Word Balloon. How about this? I did, cannot believe it has been eight years since I've spoken to Alex Ross, the co-creator of Kingdom Come, the guy who really, as Alex or as Mark points out, is the guy uh, that you know the idea started with and everything. And uh, it was Alex that was looking for a writer when he came to DC with the prospect of doing Kingdom Come. Well, guess what, kids? On the next word balloon, Alex Ross comes back, and uh, what a wonderful conversation! We continue uh, building on what we discuss with uh, Mark about Kingdom Come. Uh, we will come back to some uh, things that Mark brought up and get Alex's point of view. And uh, it's a fantastic conversation. He he managed to uh, you know put put aside not just a half hour like our pal Mark, but uh, ninety minutes more and more with uh, Alex Ross. So uh, this is just great. And we not only talk about Kingdom Come, but we do talk about some things he's got going on today, not just in comics. And I'm sure you've been seeing a lot of his uh, cover work lately for people like Marvel. But he's got a couple licensing deals that he's about to get into with uh, really cool pop culture stuff. Uh, so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, really, uh, we're, we're talking about just a day or two away from putting that one out as well. Alex Ross comes back to Word Balloon to finish up our Kingdom Come week. I hope you enjoy that conversation. It will be on the next Word Balloon. Today's talk brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Hey, we just talked to Mark Wade. Why not uh, do him a solid and buy Incorruptible? The uh, Trade Paperback Volume 2 is on sale in in-stock trades, 50% off, just $11.89. Let's talk about some more Mark Wade books that are available at InStockTrades.com. You can get uh, 52. Uh, volume 2 is also on sale, 45% off. The wonderful weekly series written by Mark, Greg Rucka, Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns. Uh, breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Uh, really, one uh, much like Kingdom Come, one of those classic DC stories. Uh, 45% off, just $10.99. You can get uh, Spider-Man Family Business, the original graphic novel featuring uh, Mark Wade and James Robinson. 45% off. It's just $13.74. How about Mark's great run on The Brave and the Bold? Really taking The Brave and the Bold back to its original pre-Batman concept of uh, locking, you know, interlocking heroes and pair-ups that you would have never thought of before. Things like Supergirl and the Flash or the Doom Patrol. And uh, I forget who the Doom Patrol was teamed up with. It, uh, you'll forgive me. But uh, really, you've got um, the Demons and Dragons uh, book. Uh, featuring uh, Mark's writing and Scott Collins' art. Uh, that is uh, 45% off, $9.89. You can get the Book of Destiny, uh, Brave and Bold Volume 2, 45% off, uh, featuring art from uh, George Perez and uh, Mark writing. That's $13.74. Lords of Luck, Brave and Bold, also Mark Wade and George Perez, 45% off, $9.89. Man, some really cool stuff. Uh, and if you just go to InStock Trades and search for Mark Wade, you'll find even more great deals on a lot of Mark Wade product. So uh, do it. 
Check it out today, InStockTrades.com. John Sutris uh, saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. And uh, thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for, for your support through Patreon. Final thoughts, uh, Civil War, Captain America Civil War, the movie. Awesome. Loved it. I'm sure you did, too. You know, I can't believe it's, all, you know, the third weekend. And, and I'm still not used to the idea that... Obviously, us hardcore fans are going to see the movie within the first week. But, you know, there might be some of you that are listening that still haven't seen the movie and still manage to, I don't know, stay away from websites that are giving all the you know details and stuff. But it was a great movie. I really have nothing to complain about. Uh, it is such a an interesting comparison to what we got in Batman Superman because, again, like it or not, a lot of the same themes were covered. And I just think Marvel did it in a much more elegant way. I thought I said it on Twitter and on Facebook. Great characterization, great plot. Uh, it made sense. You had a, a sympathetic villain that had a clear plan, um, and uh, everything that happened was tied to the hero's character or even the villain's character in, in Zemo's uh, case. But I, I just loved it. I, I thought it was great. The Russos really seem to know what they're doing. Um, the after credit scenes were great. It only makes me uh, anticipate uh, Spider-Man and Black Panther even more. Semi-spoiler there, but I don't think I'm really really revealing that much. But uh, the women seem to have enough to do. Uh, the characters of diversity seem to have enough to do. Uh, I really think that uh, everyone is listening to the complaints and, and making sure that, uh, you know, nobody's eye candy or as uh, – as Kelly Sue DeConnick referred to, sexy lamps. There seemed to have been no sexy lamps in Captain America Civil War. So I was really happy with it. What would you think? I, I've been reading everybody's thoughts on online, on, on Facebook and Twitter. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know if we'll actually have somebody on to talk about it at this point. I don't think it's necessary. I'm not into clickbait. I'd rather give you a good conversation. Of, and, you know, not to say that we can't have a good conversation about the movie with a guest, but there's always so much more to talk about. And really, and especially when it's universally loved movie like this, that's kind of cool. Tim Byers might come by in the near future and uh, do a comparison of uh, Batman, Superman, and, and Captain America Civil War just from a financial standpoint, as he usually does. And also, there's a lot of big news that's been going on. I'm sure you read Kevin Smith is uh, talking about shopping around a Buckaroo Banzai TV series. Robert Kirkman is in the works with AMC doing a comic book histories TV series. Uh, interesting times right now. And uh, it's great to see that, uh, you know, television and film are uh, making more room for more geek culture programming and not some of the crap that we got in the last couple years, but but stuff that has substance, and including the movies, and now even the TV is starting to have more substance, not just from a fiction standpoint, but from a nonfiction standpoint. All of that is great. Word Balloon is a very proud uh, representative, hopefully, of that kind of content. If I can be so bold and put my interviews up there with some of the better documentaries and uh, interviews that we get on TV, you know, things like the Captain America's uh, 75th anniversary hour-long special was really good. You know, things like that. I, I, I hope you think so, too. And I hope today's uh, episode was a good example of that. More to come on the next episode. Alex Ross coming up this week. Make sure you come back to WordBalloon.com and keep looking for more content. Until next time, thanks, as always, for listening. It really means a lot. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.